Joining the show today is Mr. Chad Withrow. He's the host on Outkick 360 with Paul Kahersky and Jonathan Hutton. And uh, now joining us here, talking about some uh, football and stuff. So how are you doing tonight, man? Doing great. Appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to this. Appreciate you taking the time to come on, man. It's awesome to have somebody because I love Outkick. I've loved what you guys have done for a long time. And when you guys joined, I was really thrilled because I've listened to you guys back into the 104.5 days, you know, when, you know, when your main focus was talking about Tennessee and stuff. So I guess I'll start off right there and kind of talk about like what you obviously you've had a, a, an interest in sports your entire life. What kind of got you into this career? What was your you know, motivation for that and stuff? I mean, you know, it's kind of like you said, I, I just always, you know, a lot of things interest me. I feel like I'm a little bit different in that I know a very little about a lot of things and not really a lot about a little. So I've always been interested in a number of things my whole life, but I was always drawn to sports from a very young age, you know, playing t-ball, baseball, basketball growing up and just watching anything that I could. You know, I didn't play football growing up, but football has always been my favorite sport to watch uh, on television and to kind of think about and occupy headspace. So Sports have always been a big part of my life. You know, I'd watch Braves games growing up with my grandmother who lived next door to me, who was a huge sports fan also. She was a big influence on me. Uh, I had older siblings who played high school sports, and I was the runt of the litter. So oftentimes I'd be left at home with my grandmother next door, and we'd watch WGN and Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, uh, back in the day and became a big Bulls and Michael Jordan fan that way, and Braves games in the summer. So Ever since I can remember, ever since really I've had memories, sports have been a big part of it. So I always knew that I wanted to do something in sports. Once you get past that dream of being a pro athlete, uh, once you realize you have that moment where you realize you're probably not going to be a pro athlete sometime around high school usually, then I knew I wanted to work in sports. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. You know, this was the opportunity I was given uh, with George Plaster at the time and, and 104.5 The Zone starting out out of college. And uh, it, it really took off from there. So very fortunate, very thankful. Did not know I'd be on the broadcasting side of things. Thought I'd be working in someone's front office. But it worked out very well. And I'm, I'm exactly where I need to be. Yeah, so radio, like, what kind of pushed you into that side of things, you know, where you are thinking that you're going to be involved directly with the sport, like you said, the front office. And when, when was that, what kind of caused that switch where it was like, I'm going to go radio, and I think that's going to be what's best. Well, in necessity, uh, more than anything else, you know, I needed a job. Um, I needed an internship, to be specific. I was finishing up at the University of Tennessee in the last semester of my program in sports business. It was a sport management major and a business administration minor. And the last semester was going to be a a 40-hour-a-week internship. So I had one lined up with the Houston Astros. Uh, and a guy named Jimmy Stanton, who had worked at Tennessee in media relations. And I was going to work in the Houston Astros media relations department and move to Houston. Then they ended up hiring someone that was already in their program full time. So that internship just went away, uh, disappeared with the Astros. So I was kind of left scrambling uh, to complete my schoolwork and to find an internship. So uh, I called uh, Drew Maddox, who's a former Vanderbilt basketball star who's married to my first cousin uh, and I'm friends with. And I call him, and he's good friends with George Plaster, who's a Nashville radio icon. Yep. He really started Sports Talk in Nashville. Got to meet George. They were in need of an intern for the next semester for that summer. Uh, so I was able to work with uh, 104.5 The Zone and, and George Plaster, Willie Donick, and Darren McFarlane as an intern and then got hired on from there and you know helped them organize their show and book guests and do a lot of things, a lot of grunt work with that. And that grew into high school football on Friday night as a host when I was 24. And that grew into a 6 p.m. hour uh, with Willie Donick that I hosted for a while also. So, yeah, it really worked out. But honestly, you know, how did it all start? How did I get into radio? I didn't know if I was going to be good at it. I didn't take broadcasting classes in college. That wasn't my focus in terms of a major. But it worked out where, you know, I started doing reports, and I was pretty good at it because I spent my whole life watching sports reporters and hearing them. So I guess I'm a pretty good actor and I could just act out what, what I heard my entire life. And then it took off from there. So 
very, very thankful that it did. Um, but, you know, it wasn't a goal of mine starting out. I needed an internship and a job, and it, it turned out I was pretty good at it. So I just kept doing it. Because one of the things that, you know, a lot of people talk to me about with radio and, you know, listening to podcasts, because the podcast platform market has absolutely exploded over, you know, the last 10 years specifically. But one of the things that people always talked about was making sure that that conversation that you're having is interesting. And the way that you do that is more so talking as if you're talking to the audience, you know, and you're just there a part of the conversation. And I think that's why I was always able to listen to you guys over like, you know, there's 102.5 that was in Nashville, you know, and so growing up, sneaking into, the, you know, turn the radio dial and trying to keep it low, you know, so that I'm not bothering anybody, you know, with, with my sports stuff. I would just, it was always 104.5 because 102.5 just wasn't interesting. You guys in that afternoon slot when I started listening, you know, you guys had, it was interesting. And I think that's one of the things that you guys do specifically you on Outkick, what's Outkick 360 now really well is the having a conversation, but not making the audience feel like they're left out of it, you know? And I think that's the biggest thing about radio that people don't realize. People get caught up in, you know, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp arguments and, you know, hot takes and everything else. And that's not really what it's, you know, what's going to draw a lot of people most of the time. It's going to create the buzz clip, but not the consistent viewership. So, no, you're re- I think you're really good at it. Like I said, I've always, I've listened to you for a long time and I like listening to a lot of different radios and stuff. So um, I guess it's kind of like when you guys, because you, you initially started working, if I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember exactly what you did. Because when I started listening to it, you were already on with Kahersky and doing uh, the three hour show. Yeah, was, so that that started in 2012. Yeah. So I started at the radio station in 04, working for George Blaster's show. 06, I started with the high school football show. 09, I started uh, with the 6 p.m. hour mm-hmm. in prime time. And then 2012 is when George left and Willie and Darren left. And then um, I started working with Midday 180 at the time was the name of the show yeah. uh, for a decade with me, Paul, and, and Hutton. So it really worked out. And I, and I felt like man, those are very nice words you said about me. I appreciate that. Very kind of you. But I, I think that the three of us had a pretty natural chemistry from day one. You know, Jonathan Hutton and I are, are very much alike. We're about the same age. You know, we're from pretty similar backgrounds. He's from McMinnville. I'm from Mount Juliet. We have a lot of the same interests. So that was pretty easy. Uh, Paul has a very different background than the two of us. Very different personalities. But I think that from the beginning, we kind of knew what would work in terms of our conversation and our tempo and the rhythm of the show and everything else. And it's evolved from then. You know, I, I've, I've become more vocal over the years, the more comfortable I've, I've gotten with everything, uh, probably quicker to confront, you know, on air uh, than I was in the beginning. And that just kind of comes with maturity of, of the yeah. job you're doing and confidence with it. But yeah, to your point about the audience, I mean, I kind of knew in the beginning when I started, I'm thinking, you know, I'm a lot like most of the sports fans listening right now. So I'll just be myself and talk about the things that interest me. And I'm willing to bet that the majority of our audience is interested in it too. And I'm going to bring them in on the conversation, just like it's you and I sitting here right now talking. And that just always seemed to work. And I think when you go with your instincts and you know, Hey, the audience is like me, you know, they, they, they want to hear the same things. They like a lot of the same things. So don't overthink it. Just bring them into your group and, and make sure that you're, you're thinking about the audience first and serving their needs. And when you do that and you operate from that basis, I think it helps you have a, an entertaining show that, that also feels inclusive to everyone that's listening in at that point because you feel like you're a part of the conversation. And I know that we've always strived for that. You know, now that we're on video every day, it, it's a little bit more uh, performance driven. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're directing the camera sometimes. It feels like you're on TV, even though we're really just hosting a radio show with cameras on is what we're doing. So it's a little bit different in that respect, but overall, I mean, we're still, you know, three guys just trying to have a conversation and trying to keep the audience entertained and engaged the entire time. 
you guys started doing more Tennessee-based coverage, you know, whether it was the Vols, whether it was the Titans. I guess you guys in the basketball season would drift into Grizzlies a little bit, but I don't remember that so much. I remember, and then the Braves, obviously, over the summer. So when you guys took and moved over to OutKick, this was last year, right? This happened, or it was late 2020, somewhere around there. You guys went to a more national base. So what's the difference you know, in your prep and kind of what you study and what you read when you go from a more local based type, you know, content to a more national stage? You know, it's really no difference. Um, you know, I would get a little bit more in the weeds with local things that I would read about before a show when I was on local radio uh, on, on the zone. But overall, we were playing the hits there too. Yeah. The hits just happened to be a little bit more Titans and Vols, right? So, when you go to it, and we are very much a, I kind of call it a regional to national show. You know, our goal is to be Southeast, middle of America driven, but also talking about the biggest stories all over the country. And, and a little bit added emphasis on the state of Tennessee and Nashville because we know that better. So mm-hmm. that'll creep in there a lot, especially in that last hour. We may do a little bit more on, on Tennessee stuff, like you see with the VolQuest guys who join us or different guests at times. But it's not really reinventing the wheel, you know, just know what's going on. I've got certain things that I go and read every single day, a checklist that I go through of making sure I know the headlines. I'm staying alert on Twitter uh, to breaking news or things that are happening and then going into it and trying to take a fresh approach. You know, I listen to different things, but I'm also not trying to be influenced by too much with my opinion. I want to read what's out there and then come to my own conclusion so I can offer you know, even if it's something that other people have said, I can offer a, a perspective that's somewhat unique because it's my perspective and told and done in, in my style. And that was the same thing I did with local, the, the local angle on the zone with Vols and Titans. So from that res- uh, respect, it really hasn't changed all that much. It's just the, the width of the subject matter with national things we can get into is broader now. And you'll hear that over the course of three hours of our show. Yeah, because, you know, the other day you were getting into Baker Mayfield and trade stuff, and then you're jumping back over into all the, I mean, this crazy offseason, right? Like, just from an NFL standpoint, we're not even going to talk about the transfer portal or anything like that. Like, that's just, it's insanity right now with the content stuff that's out there. And I guess it's easier for you for you in that kind of a situation where you're trying to, you're trying to fill this three hour space with stuff to talk about that's relevant. And it just becomes that much easier, right? When you have just unlimited stuff that people, that people are going to tune into and, and then you can engage into multiple platforms and everything else. But yeah, um, it's look, there's no shortage, you know, that we're entering a time of year where we're going to have to get a little bit more creative. And that, that's true with everyone in sports talk. When you get in the middle of summer, really when you get past final four and NFL draft, Those are your lean months. You know, May, June, July are your tough months. We're going to have more guests. We're going to do more pop culture stuff. We're going to do different things. We're going to keep it interesting. And we're going to talk football. And we're going to talk football every day. Again, we we view ourselves and always have as we're a top 40 station. You know, instead of playing Ariana Grande and whatever else is hot at the moment, we're, we're playing the hits. We're talking NFL. We're talking to Sean Watson. We're talking Baker Mayfield. We took that approach to the zone, and it worked to record ratings while we were there and, and podcast numbers. And it, the same thing is going to work at OutKick 360. It's just twisting the formula a little bit to go away from, oh, we have to talk Titans and Vols or these topics today, to, okay, we have to talk about the biggest topics in America today and do it in our own way. That's really all that we've done. You guys also did this past year – the, the tailgate series where you were going out on Saturdays and hitting the different places across the Southeast. So what was, so what was kind of the draw to that experience and, you know, like what got, what got you into that? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have to give Clay all credit uh, for that. And that idea, you know, Fox approached him. So he sold OutKick to Fox news. Yes. So when he did that, he's got a great relationship with Fox sports where he's been on their Saturday morning show. Uh, either on set or as a contributor for a long time. So Fox and Fox Sports came to Clay with this idea of a bus. 
right? So he had a bus with his picture on it uh, without kick the coverage all over it. And he was going to go from SEC town to SEC town and have this sort of mobile pop-up tent area where fans could come and hang out. And then um, he would go on the, the big noon kickoff show on, on Fox every yep. Saturday morning. So he was doing that. And as part of it, he pitched myself, Jonathan Hutton, Jill Savage as the three co-hosts to go with him and do a show, you know, do a, se- a separate show where he would hop on off the bus and it was all digital. So, you know, we weren't on television, but it was all online, yep. all digital. And, uh, you know, I think it went well. You know, we really used this year as a test. You know, everything's been pointing towards let's get everything rolling under Fox and that umbrella for the 2022 season, football season. And I think we've done that. You know, every week we figured out something that wouldn't work and kind of corrected it and moved forward. And then you, you correct that and do something different and then that doesn't work. So, you know, you kind of smooth it out and fine tune it as you go. Uh, and I, I had a lot of fun with it. You know, I got to see a couple of places I have not been. Got to go to a number of SEC places I've been a bunch of times. Uh, and you always see something new and different when you go. So it was a great experience. We had a lot of fun with that show. And looking forward to hopefully doing that again uh, this fall, which I, I believe right now is the plan. So um, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, Saturday mornings at getting up at 530 for some of these, uh, you know, 5 or 530, even earlier for uh, some of these East Coast uh, times, you know, was was a little bit challenging at times, but it was a lot of fun. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's college football. You can Absolutely. make an argument all you can about NFL or any other level, really any other sport, but college football, the pageantry behind it, the tradition, the grassroots, everything, the, the, the you know, the history, everything about it, just it, it has this certain vibe about it that's so different. And you can't beat, and it's not just the game. You know, you can't beat a college town on a big game weekend. You know, we're there on Friday night. We're there Saturday. We go to the game sometimes. I was in College Station when they knocked off Alabama. Yep. And we got there on Friday. You know, we did the show on Saturday morning. Uh, we hung out on campus. We were in the stadium. I was on the sideline when the fans stormed the field. I was standing right behind Johnny Manziel. When it happened, watching him going nuts on that last drive. I mean, you can't beat experiences like that. But when you're in a town like that and a big win happens or just you have the different fan bases, you know, squaring off, you really can't beat it. And I love the NFL, but it's few and far between you get atmosphere like that uh, in the NFL. You know, it's just it's just very, very different. And, and I love it for that reason. I'm, I'm always going to be a college football fan at heart. How, how much would you bet on? Texas A&M always having Johnny Manziel at the Alabama game from this point on. Yeah, I think Johnny Manziel, uh, I saw his celebrity status on that campus. And uh, if I were him, I would just walk around that campus all the time. That'd be my full-time <laughs> job. Uh, I would just be Johnny Manziel. I'd be Johnny football full-time and let people acknowledge me and recognize me and buy things for me everywhere I went because he is still legendary on that campus. There is no doubt about it. I mean, look at that career he had there, you know, like it was, that was, that was about the time. Cause so I'm 25. So that was about the time I started getting into college football, you know, where I'd been following the NFL my entire childhood. And then I really got into the balls and stuff. And so when that was right there, 2011, 2012 ish, when he's starting to peak, you know, it had that Heisman year knocked off Alabama, but yeah, no, uh, I can see that where he's still he's he's always going to be a god at A&M. Like that's just that's just how it's going to be. Oh yeah, he he's the guy. You know, he's the dude on that campus. There's no doubt. I mean, you get he was at a bar that we were at after the game and you know, you hear rumors as you walk in. I th- I think Johnny Football's here. Yeah, I think I saw Johnny Football outside. Maybe he's in the alley. Maybe he's over here and people whisper his name and it's magic on that A&M campus. So he's he's big time. So what's your favorite campus that you've been on so far? It, I'm, I would say, assume you'd say Tennessee, but so just moving them out of it because you're an alumni out of the other 13 schools there, which one's the best one? Well, so I haven't been to all, I haven't been to all 14 campuses yet. Uh, we didn't, we didn't get to maybe half of them this year, I think over the course of the mm-hmm. season, because we went to Alabama a couple times. Um, I, I think Athens is my favorite college town 
Um, I, I love the setup in Athens. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful area uh, of North Georgia. But the way the downtown is set up with, you know, it's not just one strip. It's kind of four or five different little strips of a downtown area. It's really cool in Athens. I, I love it as a college town. Oxford, Mississippi is terrific. I'm a big fan of going to Ole Miss games also. Um, I can tell you my least favorite is Gainesville. I've never <laughs> had a desire to go to Gainesville uh, in, in North Florida. If I'm going to Florida, I'm going to the beach. You know, I just don't see the draw of going to landlocked Florida and having a college there. But uh, that was by far my least favorite. Least favorite setup, least favorite college town by a mile. Uh, I really want to go to Fayetteville. You know, Clay got to go there. That was before we got rolling, though. That was yeah. in week two. We did a, a Thursday night special show uh, from Knoxville before their game against Bowling Green. We missed out on that week in Fayetteville. I really want to go to Fayetteville at some point. I want to go to Baton Rouge. I've never been there. Uh, but I would say of the places we went, Athens would be number one in terms of town. Tuscaloosa is a lot of fun. And I think that's a place that's gotten a lot better. We had a really good time there. And uh, a place I've been before, I'd say Oxford, Mississippi, is is right there. Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin coming through Ole Miss. You know, when, so as a Tennessee alum, when he took the job at Ole Miss, what was your reaction to that? Uh, I didn't really have a big one, honestly. Um, you know, if it was a team that Tennessee played every year, you know, if he gets the job at South Carolina, let's say, I immediately think, oh, this is going to be miserable because he's going to get South Carolina rolling and he's going to beat Tennessee every year. But, you know, Ole Miss, they're in the SEC, but they're not really a rival of Tennessee's. Uh, I thought he did some good things at Florida Atlantic. I immediately thought he's going to hire an all-star coaching staff and they're going to recruit really well. The recruiting hasn't really taken off. You know, he's done well in the transfer portal this yeah. offseason. But the recruiting has not taken off to the level I thought it would uh, for Lane Kiffin. Um, but I, I don't hold a lot of, you know, it's so long ago. Like, I'm the type of guy, there are people who are very good at holding on to grudges. And I can get, you know, pissed off with the rest of them and be angry at someone for a while. But I have a hard time holding on to stuff for more than a year or two. And I typically <laughs> just move on, you know, I. I'm the type that I just forget about, you know, the bad things a lot of times and just kind of move on. And, oh, that's right. We did have a disagreement. I totally forgot about it. You know, it's fine now if I see a person again. So I kind of feel that way with Lane Kiffin. Uh, I've got no big issue with him. I, I find him hilarious now. I think he's great for the SEC. Yeah. I hope he stays at Ole Miss. I hope he stays in the SEC. Uh, I love the golf ball at the baseball game. Didn't quite have the desired outcome for Ole Miss baseball that weekend with Tennessee sweeping them. But I love – I love – that's his personality coming out, but it's also Lane Kiffin knowing that at Ole Miss, you need to do those things to stay relevant, right? I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's a, it's a lower-tier SEC job yeah. that doesn't get a lot of national attention. So he knows he's got to do things like that to stay in the public eye, and uh, he's very smart about it. He's a, he's a smart dude. I think he's funny. So he's got a good sense of humor about everything. So I, I think that that works well. I think the one problem he got into at Tennessee, he was he was too young, first and foremost. You, yep. you learn a lot more as you yep. age. But also, he thought he had to be that crazy, out-front, joker-type guy at Tennessee, and you don't have to do that. Tennessee's one of the jobs where you don't – you can just go coach football. You know, what, what Tennessee fans want is not catchphrases, not cliches. Just go coach. And if the team is fun and plays hard and wins some games, you're going to be just fine. Josh Heupel is a great example. You know, Josh Heupel hasn't said anything overly noteworthy in his time in Knoxville, and he doesn't really have to. As long as he wins and uh, the offense looks the way it did this past year and there's momentum, and now he's starting to get some really good players in recruiting, uh, Tennessee fans are going to be fine. You don't, you don't have to have that personality uh, to get the spotlight on you at Tennessee or, or a job like that. I think at Ole Miss, you got to do it. Not only was their offense great this year, but, I mean, the defense, it gave up some points at times. But were, did they not lead yet the, the nation in tackles for loss, for example? You know, like they made a lot of big plays, too, that kind of went under the radar because they were giving up points. Yeah, it's a defense that, you know, they want to take chances. You know, their, their, whole, their whole mantra is offense. And it's offense on defense, too, right? Yeah. That, never, that, that switch it never flips off. 
when they're on defense, it's all about getting the ball back via turnover or creating a big negative play, right? Tennessee's not a team that's going to uh, get you for a two-yard gain on a run, a, a four-yard pass, and then stuff the run. You know, it's not a three-and-out type defense. It's a you're, they're going to give up chunk plays. They're going to give up yardage because they're going to take chances. But then eventually they might get a, a fumble return. They might get an interception. They're, they might get a 17-yard sack on a play that's going to eventually lead mm-hmm. to a punt. Um, that's that's sort of how they play it. They got to get better players on defense. I think Byron Young got a lot better as the year went on. He could be good for Tennessee this year. I think Tyler Barron needs to step up and be a difference maker also for Tennessee. Um, you know, they got the quarterback now that's coming in, uh, in Nico Iamaleava. They've got some other talent on offense coming in. They got to find that blue chip, four or five star, two or three of them difference makers off the edge. I think if they do that, you don't have to recruit to Georgia's level on defense to have a chance with their offense to knock off a Georgia or Alabama eventually at home. If you do that with one of the two and you take care of the games you should, which they actually did in year one, which is surprising, when they're beating South Carolina, Missouri, Vandy, Kentucky, even on the road, uh, if you can do that, you're going to give yourself a chance to play in Atlanta at some point. So from a personnel standpoint, that's what Tennessee has to do. I don't think they're ever going to out-recruit Kirby Smart in Georgia. I don't think they're ever going to out-recruit Bama as long as Saban is alive and in, in coaching. Florida is going to be tough to out-recruit them, but they can stay on a Florida level. They could stay above South Carolina. They can recruit to a top 10, top 15 level nationally and stay relevant in the SEC and at least give themselves a chance uh, to eventually play for a title. But look, step one is passing all those other programs I mentioned first. And I think they started that process this past year. So I'm excited to see what, what Hypo can do in year two. Does South Carolina concern you this year? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I was talking with a buddy about this the other day. Uh, their momentum should scare everyone in the SEC. Spencer Rattler, uh, he was a five-star guy. I mean, he's yep. got a lot of talent. He had a great year at Oklahoma. He didn't have a bad year this year, and he got benched. And now he's at South Carolina. So they drastically upgraded talent at the quarterback position, which they had to do. They were not good there this past yep. year. Um, that's step one for South Carolina. They're recruiting at a good level. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Shane Beamer's got something. You know, he's got the charisma. He's got the uh, energy around that program headed in the right direction. So, yeah, I think South Carolina is going to be a factor. They're going to be a factor. You know, Georgia is by far the king of the SEC East right now. No doubt about it. Defending national champion. But South Carolina is going to be a thorn in the side of Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida. That's kind of the way I see them right now. Because those are the three programs that are kind of hovering and circling around each other right now. uh, If you look at where they are as a program. And I say that with Florida because Tennessee can't, you know, historically – uh, recent history, they don't beat Florida. So until they start to win a couple of games against Florida, I'm still putting Florida in that mix. But I do think South Carolina is going to be a problem for some people. And it's not just Rattler, too. It's it's bringing in people like, you know, Stogner, who he played with, Austin Stogner, the tight end. Uh, that was That's another Oklahoma guy. That's a guy that, you know, we were looking at this year as a potential NFL draft guy. You know, um, he's got the length, he's got the size, and he's got the athleticism, and you're just kind of in that 6'5 range where you're like, hmm guy can make some plays he can he's a vertical threat um and then those receivers this year too you know they already had a tight end that could kind of slide in and out of the slot a little bit i think his name is bell jaheen bell um he's gonna be awesome this year he was already awesome and just kind of very quietly had a great year down there because they weren't doing so hot and they didn't have a great quarterback the entire year but yeah look they've they've got they're one of those teams that They've got a passionate fan base. Um, they got a fan base who, who over-delivers based on their success historically. I think Kentucky's another one of those programs that I think their football fan base is very underrated and is very good. Um, so, yeah, they, they've got an opportunity to get some stuff rolling down there, no doubt. So, funny story is I was at BASIC a few years ago, and I had this Korean guy that was trying to get his, uh, his green card by joining the military, and he had studied at – at, at Georgia 
And he said, yeah, I went to a football game once because we were talking about football. And he's like, yeah, I went to a football game once. I was like, oh, who did you play? Oh, I remember. We lost. I was like, that narrows it down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, so uh, well, what do you remember? He's like, I remember uh, beat the cocks. I was like, oh, you were at that game. You know? <laughs> South Carolina upsetting Georgia. The, not the last time, but the time before. Um, when Not with Jake Fromm, but with, who was it? Murray, right? Also. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray, that's right. Works yep. for CBS now. Um, but yeah, so but even like for him coming into just kind of circling back into that SEC and the it's the greatest conference in college football. It just is. There, there's no conference that's better than it from the tradition, from the overall talent. They put more talent in the NFL every year out of anybody. And it's just, it's undisputed. They're number one. But even from somebody from a different country coming in and kind of visiting with the SEC and seeing that, like, he took a lot away from just that one game. Like, this is, wow, this is bigger than life. You know, this is, this is the, the lifeblood of this place down here. And, uh, yeah, I'll never, I'll never get past that with the SEC in terms of people trying to sell, like, the Big Ten, for example, right? Like, yeah, they got a great, some great teams, Michigan, Ohio State. Penn State's got a nice history outside of, you know, the stain of Sandusky. And then you've got Michigan State that's been traditionally good. Saban was there for a while, you know. But overall, you know, they just don't compete with the SEC. Well, it's, I mean, yes and no. Uh, Look, I love the SEC, and and there's a reason that Fox uh, wanted us out without kick at the SEC. It's kind of their, their foot into the door of the SEC because they don't have the rights to it and they're Big Ten and, and Big 12. I'd love to go to Michigan. I'd love to go to Ohio State. I'd love to go to Penn State that you mentioned. Uh, there are some spots. Uh, I've been to Nebraska uh, and they're as passionate as anyone. So there are some really good stops in the Big Ten that I, I'd love to go see. And there's some really good academic schools there. But to your point, if I were to take someone from anywhere else in the world that's a sports fan, let's say they're a soccer fan uh, from Belgium, and they were to come to the U.S. for the first time and to go to a sporting event, I would take them to a a huge SEC game on a Saturday night or at 3.30 Eastern time at a CBS game, and I would just plop them there and say, okay, this is the height of American sports fandom uh, at an SEC game. I I wouldn't go to a Packers-Bears game. I wouldn't go to a Dodgers-Giants baseball game. You know, I wouldn't go to a, a New York Knicks Brooklyn Nets game in the NBA, I would take them to an SEC football game and say, it's not going to get much crazier than this. What you're going to see on this campus, in this town, over the course of this weekend, drink it all in, take it in, because it doesn't get any better uh, in American sports, and just let them experience that. That would definitely be the play. So to your point, yes, I would put SEC at the top for for that reason. So... CBS here in the near future won't have the rights to that game anymore. ESPN has those rights, you know, and uh, this is something that at least the Outkick website covers a lot with the different, you know, the the different things happening behind the scenes with rights to games and reporters and everything else. Did you have any thoughts, you know, on we're not going to have Gary Danielson calling these games anymore? Do you even like Gary Danielson? A lot of people I see on Twitter don't. You know, you know, Gary Daniels is just not someone that I have an emotional attachment to uh, one way or the <laughs> other. I mean, then there's a lot of people like that. That means he's probably pretty good at his job. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just not I'm not tied to Gary Danielson the way I was uh, Vern Lundquist, even. Yeah. Who was just kind of your crazy him. uncle uh, calling those games. Um, I think Kirk Herbstreit's terrific. He's probably, he's the best in the business in college football. And, and I love him on broadcast. I'm excited that he's going to get a chance to do some NFL games for Amazon on yep. Thursday night as well with, with, uh, with Al, Al Michaels, Michaels, which is really yep. cool. Um, so I'm excited to see that. Uh, the first thing I thought was, I really hope ESPN buys the rights to the CBS college football theme song uh, when they go with the ESPN game and they can bring it over because hearing that, you know, that just gets me in the mood for a football Saturday in the fall, uh, hearing that theme. So I, I hope that that can, they can work out some sort of trade or something that we've seen with networks before, and uh, they can get that theme song. That was my first thought. But, I mean, 
you know, ESPN, for all their faults, and there's plenty of them at ESPN right now, they're the best at games. You know, they have more properties. They air more games. Uh, they know how to produce it. It's a science to them. They're really good in college basketball even. You know, they're, they're great at college football. Anything they take on, NFL, uh, they do a good job with the production quality of it. So I, I think it's in good hands. And I think ESPN is going to do a fine job uh, in that time slot. But honestly, the thing I'm going to miss the most about the CBS game is the music, if it doesn't carry over. No, yeah, that, that is right. It's 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 legendary. It just is. It's it's synonymous with it. You know, there's no other way with that. I was just curious if. So I I like Gary Danielson, and I think it's because if I'm watching a game, you know, someone like Kirk, I like Kirk. Um, someone who isn't overly annoying i guess is the best way to put it where they're they're trying because the biggest challenge i think that you have when you're calling a game as a color commentator is not going over the head of your audience trying to describe what's going on in the field and talk about some of the more intricate things going you know with from a technique standpoint with what the players did on a certain play with the schemes and so you're trying to kind of keep it at that casual level and some guys are really bad at that, where it's like they just they're so worried about it going over everybody's head and not understanding what they're trying to say that they dumb it down to a point where it's like, oh, yeah, that was a great catch right there. And, you know, he really got into the hops. And it's like, why are you here, man? Like, why am I listening to you? And I always felt like Gary always solved kind of things. And Kirk is like this. There's a lot of guys. Um, Joel Klatt is like this where they just, they see little things and they point it out, but it's not annoying. It's not like, you know, me sitting here with my, my 10 year old, you know, nephew or something where it's like, Oh man, that was a great catch. It's like, I don't want to listen to that through my TV, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think the it's the balance, right? Like I, I get annoyed when I feel like someone's showing off, you know, like there's a way to drop that, stat or that fact in that you did research on and do it in a way that's organic to the broadcast and there's some people i hear that i'm like okay you're just kind of showing off now with all <laughs> the game notes that you've read and what you said and the best play-by-play guys are really good when they have a coach or a, a former player that's with them that they know is talking too technically about a play or what's going on they'll stop them and say okay now tell us what you mean by you know five technique you know, for yeah. instance, or, or whatever it may be. And they do a good job of, and then they'll explain it clearly to the audience. I also think that just football audiences have become much more sophisticated. You know, before, you know, if you said any type of route, right, you know, if you said a nine route, you no know, one would know what you're talking about. And now a lot of football watchers will know exactly what you mean by that. So I think that the vocabulary of football has, has broadened for most people because they're so obsessed with watching it and they see more of it. I think playing video games for younger people has helped with that, with play calls. I really do. I mean, I think it's been a big help for the game of football and what people know about it. So I do think that these coaches and players can talk about more and get more inside the game and not talk over people's heads. But I also think you can't go too far with that. And to your point, you can't be too dumb about it either. Because you got to realize you're talking to a pretty sophisticated audience, so it can't be too basic with what you're saying. And digital, you could say the entire digital platform, digital market, has changed a lot of that too. Because I let's go back to you know you're growing up watching Jordan and stuff, so this was you know the '90s, right? Where you don't have ESPN Plus, where you know you log into and you watch a ten-part series on Tom Brady where he's talking about all the different stuff going on in the games. And, you know, he's not overly technical in that, for example. But he does get into it at times throughout that series. You know, and or Peyton Manning breaking down a quarterback's play with detail, right? You don't have all this extra content at that point where you can dive into a lot of this stuff, too, and listen to people who really know about it, talking about it. And digital, you know, between YouTube, between you know, podcasts and really it's YouTube. And like you said, the video game that's opened and changed a lot too, you know, to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah you can, you can really know as much as you want to know now. 
Mm -hmm. uh, because there's an avenue and a piece of information somewhere on the web where you can listen about it, you can watch it, you can find out exactly what something is. And you're right, when I grew up, that really wasn't available. I remember watching NBA broadcast as a kid, and some announcer talked about a UCLA cut. You know, oh, look at this UCLA cut. That's a great UCLA cut. I'm thinking, what in the world is a UCLA cut? <laughs> and I played basketball, and then I'd go to a camp, and someone taught us, you know, a UCLA cut, where you kind of cut in and then go back out towards the perimeter to shake a defender or, or run them into a screen and then run back out. So, you know, then that's how you learn, though. You know, you, you played. You didn't have all these instructions. I remember the Tom Amansky baseball instructional VHS that would be advertised on ESPN. I used to watch SportsCenter with Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann on repeat at my grandmother's house every morning in the summer when I wasn't in school. And I got to where I could repeat every highlight by the third or fourth time watching the show. And every break, you'd have this Tom Amansky baseball instructional video where Fred McGriff was the pitch man. And you, and you see that, and that was your source of information. You had to order it for, you know, $19.99. They'd ship it and pay shipping and handling, and you'd get it to your house, and you'd learn, how to, learn the game of baseball and learn the vocabulary. If not, you better have a really good announcer you're watching that can properly communicate and explain exactly what's going on in the game and whatever game it was. So, um, you know, John Madden, a lot of retrospectives about him uh, with his passing <clears throat> earlier this year. Uh, I think he was a, an innovator when it came to that, that could really explain it to America, what was going on. You know, he didn't get overly technical, but he could do that and then clearly tell you what was going on as well. He was a big help. But, yeah, I mean, the information you can get now is light years ahead uh, of where it was in the 90s when I was growing up. Looking at Tennessee coming up in this upcoming year, because, you know, that's the volunteers – what is the most exciting thing about this team? You know, like, what are you most looking forward to seeing kind of happen and looking and anticipating? I am excited to watch Hendon Hooker in year two uh, in mm -hmm. this in this system. I mean, the most exciting thing about this team is you go into the season knowing the quarterback spot is set. Um, that's always barring injury, and someone's going to have to take snaps other than Hendon Hooker. We know that. You don't get through an entire SEC season without your quarterback having to step out in game or missing a game or missing a half or missing some time because of injury. It's just going to happen, you know, over the course of the season. Um, but I think seeing Hendon Hooker in year two and what he can do with this offense and the tweaks that Heupel makes offensively. Um, Trey Wallace at OutKick interviewed Josh Heupel recently, and he was asking some of us, hey, what, what would you ask Josh Heupel? And, and what I told him was, what I want to know is, how do you avoid a sophomore slump when your offense, in a lot of ways, it took the, the conference by storm at times? Yeah. And the issue with the offense is, you think you're ready for it, but they kind of hit you with a sledgehammer with that speed early. And it takes teams about a quarter and a half to adjust. So if that's the case, they had a season to adjust now. So there is going to be adjustment from SEC coaches seeing Tennessee a second time and how they defend that offense. So what's the counter move by Josh Heifel uh, with his offense? How can he just tweak? It? You don't need to change it, but how do you tweak things just a little bit here and there to make it as effective as it was a year ago or even more effective in year two with Hendon Hooker at quarterback? So I think I'm most excited to see that chess move from Josh Heifel and see just how much better can Hendon Hooker be this year than he was a year ago. And he was fantastic. I mean, he was a revelation for Tennessee when he played. But I, I also think there's another level he can get to. Yeah, because we were talking, you know, with like uh, with Jim Nagy back, you know, as he's putting the Senior Bowl roster together. This is, I think, uh, Bruce Feldman did a really good piece where he kind of got into some of their scouting meetings and was just a, a fly on the wall for it and just kind of listened. But they talked a lot about Hendon Hooker. So, you know, if the Senior Bowl's talking about him, you know the NFL is. You know, and it was that kind of a year where you were kind of watching him going, you know, there's there's tools to work with. He's got that athleticism. He's got that arm. The quick release, too, is a, is a really great thing, and I think that really helps the whole style of the offense. Um, but I, I think he could be a first or second round pick. No, I really yeah. do. He's, I mean, I think this year, year, you know, yeah. he's, uh, he's, he said it, he's 6'4". 
you know, he's, he's got the size, he's got the requisite athletic skills uh, to make it happen. He's very poised uh, in the pocket. Um, there are things he's got to get better at. Uh, and he's going to have to get better at that to be a, a successful pro. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think he could play his way into a first or second round draft pick this year. The biggest thing I think is the speed on the perimeter. You know, losing Bellis Jones, who ran what four three one at the combine, yep. and he didn't run uh, at the combine. Also, but Javante Payton was the speed yeah. guy. So it kind of makes you wonder if he doesn't have that injury, what was he? What would he have been running? You know, because he, I think he was a little bit faster. They used him in that in as the you know, the speed guy. And you kind of saw that in the Georgia game. When he went down, that hurt that offense a lot. It hurt their game plan because they weren't able to stretch that defense like they were, you know, attempting to and really kind of succeeding with in the first, you know, 20 minutes of the game. Like you said, the first quarter and a half is Georgia's making their adjustments. But um, the speed is going to be the biggest thing. I think Cedric Tillman is an exciting guy too. Like, big body guy who's physical but has that speed too like that's a potential first round guy too you know oh i mean he's uh i read an article where he's a dark horse heisman guy you know this year Cedric <laughs> Tillman, with the season he had no he's he's terrific and he's a look he, he's a, a classic case a former two-star player uh you know son of an athlete but you know wasn't highly recruited jeremy pruitt found him gets to Tennessee and, and he's turned himself into a star. So more power to him. I think Jalen Hyatt's going to be key for Tennessee this year that he showed some promise under Pruitt in his freshman year, really fell off last year. Didn't get a ton of playing time. Didn't get a ton of looks, mm -hmm. but he started to step up late in the year. He's got the skills. Now he's got the talent. So I think Jalen Hyatt is due for a, a bigger year and a bigger role on this team. But yeah, that's, it's going to be interesting to see because I knew Bayless Jones Jr., you saw it on special teams in the return game. You saw it at times in games. I'm thinking they're really going to miss him. Uh, I don't know if you knew it at the time as much, but now what he's doing at the Combine at Tennessee's Pro Day this week, it shows just how much they're going to miss him. But he's a really good football player. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Bayless Jones Jr. fan. So, um, yeah, I think Tennessee's going to be active in the transfer portal. Uh, I'd look out for Brew McCoy from, from Southern Cal to be an immediate contributor at receiver. So uh, just like Javante Payton was from Mississippi State to Tennessee last year. Jones, so too. Jones it's going to be fun to follow. Well. Who'd you say? Jones came from USC as well, too. So Yep, yep, Bayless Jones Jr. That's, and uh, Chase McGrath, their kicker, uh, yep. also was a USC guy. So they got a nice little USC pipeline working right now. It, it, it's working right now. It might not be in the future. <laughs> Lincoln Riley yep. there now. Yeah, I think Lincoln Riley will probably lock it up a little bit more uh, than, than previous <laughs> regime. Yeah, no. What was what was that like? Because and this is going back a little bit. This might be the last topic we'll touch on. But going back to that whole Lincoln Riley story, right? You had a lot. Like I was talking with people like LSU boosters and stuff, and they were like, He's in the bag. We got him. We offered him this big giant contract. Da da da. He's gonna announce it as soon as the season's over. I was hearing this like three weeks before the season was over, and I was kind of like, and then you know, uh, Outkicks LSU guy. What's his name? I can't think right now. Glenn Gilbo. Yeah. Glenn Gilbo. He was yeah. saying the same thing too, and I was like, okay, well, he's hearing the same stuff, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's off to USC with this record contract, and it was, what was that like, you know, from your side? Well, you know. I, I tend to not get overly surprised much. I mean, I thought the Brian Kelly move from Notre Dame to LSU was more surprising than Lincoln Riley. <laughs> yeah, you know, Lincoln Riley is a young dude. You know, it's not shocking that he would just, um, you know, look, he, he played the business part of it well. He played LSU against USC, against Oklahoma, and he ended up taking what was the best offer for him. And candidly, I just think he wanted to leave Oklahoma too. I think he wants a new challenge. I don't think he hates Oklahoma. He had a very good job there. It's one of the top jobs in the country. But I think he, he wanted to challenge himself. He wanted something new, wanted new scenery. And I don't know if you saw the mansion that he's moved into in, yeah, in Malibu <laughs> or wherever it is on the beach in, in, in L.A. It's unbelievable. Uh, so he got a great setup at, at Southern Cal. He got a program that was very hungry, um, borderline desperate for success, that was willing to meet all of his demands, <clears throat> give him – Loads of money, loads of freedom, 
everything he wanted. So more power to him. And, and you know, USC made a big splash uh, with that hire. So I think when you line all those things up, it makes sense. <clears throat> it just always initially surprises us when we see someone leave a job like Oklahoma or a job like Notre Dame. You know, that's always going to be surprising. Is, is <clears throat> honestly, is Brian Kelly going to fit at LSU? I mean, Brian Kelly's a good football coach. Like, I, you know, I, I don't get into the fits as much. I think if you can coach football, you can make it work. I think where the fit backfires, it's not an accent thing or a personality thing with the fan base and with the region as much as what are the political ties to your school? You know, if you go to Texas, there's a lot of Texas state politics that plays in. Yeah. You've got to play ball with a lot of different people. There are places where you, you know you have to know the job and the expectation is you got to take this booster's phone call or you really got to work with the provost at this school or you really got to make sure the president's on board with the AD at this school. Um, knowing those things and having the personality to handle it, I think, is where fit works. I mean, I think Brian Kelly has shown that, you know, he can be at one place for a long time like he was mm-hmm. in Notre Dame. Yep. You know, he can do good things at different places. So I think he's going to win. You know, I don't think LSU could have done much better. If it wasn't Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly's pretty darn close uh, as a second-place finisher and to get that job. So I think he'll ultimately do well, even if he looks goofy, you know, dancing to Colin Baton Rouge and trying to do the accent and all that. That stuff's hilarious. But, yeah, other than that, I think he'll coach football quite well. It's not just it's not just all that. I think it's also as long as he doesn't threaten to execute the entire team, he should be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, the less death threats, probably the better for Brian Kelly. <laughs> Those typically don't fly, especially from a northerner down here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, no, man. I'm gonna go ahead and let you get back with your family and stuff. And I appreciate you taking the time to jump on the show and talk some ball and stuff. It's fascinating. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you having me. Sorry for cutting out there for a little bit, but uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, best of luck with everything. and uh, always enjoy talking some sports, so appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course, Chad. Thank you so much. And Thank you for tuning into my channel, checking out the content. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and follow us on your favorite podcast platform as well.